0: Welcome to mini episode 107 of Real Life Ghost Stories. Before we begin, you might be asking yourself, why is this a mini episode and not a main episode? Well, there are two reasons for that. The first reason being that I'm currently away a lot. January, for some reason, is proving to be a really busy month in general. And I'm also working on some new content. Well, trying to work on some new content, which has proven to be quite difficult and taken up a huge amount of time. So main episodes will be back as normal ASAP. And on a really selfish note... It does help to cut through the backlog of listener episodes, so it's a win-win. To kick things off this week, I would like to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Gabby Lauk, Amy Crowling, Paulie, Jeremy Hunt, Diana Rock and Hemi. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and I appreciate you every single day. And I have two spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 6th of March, 2021. And story number one comes from Dan. When I was in my final year of college, I worked as a waiter at a country club. It was a big old building with a banquet hall dining rooms a lovely golf course and a large basement where they stored beer and wine. My co-workers would talk about weird occurrences when going to the basement for beer and wine, being pushed from behind, seeing shadows, hearing voices. I'd been to the basement loads of times and nothing had ever happened so I didn't think much of it. I was kind of a party guy during college and one night I decided to take a dropper of cannabis tincture my roommate had made before going into work. The tincture was marijuana and Everclear liquor mixed together. The night was already quite weird, and I was really feeling it when I was asked to get wine from the basement to restock the bar. I went down into the basement and almost instantly felt ill at ease. As I walked to the wine cage, I felt freezing cold. I saw a shadow move quickly across my line of sight and when I turned my head it was gone. This happened several more times before I ran out of there with a box of wine. I came upstairs and told two of my co-workers there's something down there and it doesn't like me being down there and asked them to make any future trips to retrieve wine for the night. When I got home I told my roommate about this experience and he asked to see the bottle that he had given me. He looked at the small blue medicine bottle and said, Oh shit, I asked him what was wrong. And he said, Before I put the tincture in that bottle, it had liquid LSD in it. You might have actually gotten some residuals of that. We both ended up laughing about it, so thanks Kyle. My next story was when I worked for a food safety company that serviced grocery stores. One of my contracts was a store in a small rural town far away from my home. People had told me stories of ghost children that caused mischief in the offices. Chairs would spin when no one was in them, people would hear laughing and playing in the offices, and run in to find nobody there. The store manager insisted the store was not haunted when I asked her, but other people there told me she would not enter the store alone if she was the first person there at opening. She would wait for someone else to arrive before opening the store. As part of my inspection, I'd have to check a large cavernous basement room every month. The door was a huge metal swinging door that was locked. I would always have to request a key from the manager to open it. Employees had told me of times they had heard blood curdling screaming from down there, and when they'd opened the door, there would be nothing there. The light switch for the basement was on a pole in the middle of the room. That meant you would have to walk 20 or 30 feet through the dark to the middle of the room to turn on the lights. I always had a flashlight that I used for my inspections, so this wasn't as bad as for the employees who didn't. One October I was going down into the basement. I made my way to the light pole, flicked on the light and jumped out of my skin to see a large black thing dangling from the pole. On closer inspection, it was a spider Halloween decoration the employees had put up as a prank. When I left the basement, they asked if I saw anything, and I said yes, that damn spider scared the crap out of me. They howled, laughing. I had always asked about ghost sightings since the first time they told me about it, and they knew they could get me with a good basement prank. A few months later, I did my check in the basement and felt off. It was colder than usual, and I desperately wanted out. As I shut the large metal door, I saw a wispy white trail of smoke travel across the room. I slammed the door, locked it, and ran back up the hallway. As I continued my inspection, I peeked my head into a room full of glass jars of tomato sauce and other canned products. I didn't go into the room. I'd been through many times before and I knew what was in there, plus I wanted to get out of the store after my experience in the basement. I was in the deli when I heard a huge crash from the stockroom. Everyone came running and found the racks in the storage room had fallen over and collided with each other. Broken glass and tomato sauce were everywhere. The store manager accused me of doing something to make the racks fall. It wasn't me, I only poked my head in, I told her. She reviewed the security footage and the racks fell five minutes after I was seen outside. No one was in the room or anywhere nearby when it happened. The thing that strikes me most about this story is my own naivety about any sort of drugs. I literally was reading this going, Marijuana and Everclear liquor in a tincture. Whoa! Who knew? My own naivety aside, I wonder if a combination of the residual LSD, the marijuana, whatever... And knowing the stories of the basement made you feel as though there was something in the basement, which is interesting. Maybe the power of suggestion is far more strong when you're under the influence. Who knows? But the other story about the being an inspector, I love the fact that the workers tried to freak you out with a spider or a Halloween decoration hanging in the basement. If they did that to me, they would fail the inspection instantaneously. I'd be like, fail. No, sorry. That's not how this works. Don't try and scare me. No way, man. Try and scare me. I'll ruin your life. I've been uh, watching a lot of paranormal shows lately, like paranormal shows where they go and investigate various places. And they always talk about energy and ghosts needing loads of energy to do various things. But if, you know, we're going to prescribe to that way of thinking, like how much energy would it take to knock over those racks that are standing up and holding huge weight of canned goods and glass jars. I don't know, that's a serious amount of energy. And story number two comes from Tyler. And Tyler is a friend of the show. We love Tyler. Tyler has a YouTube channel called Tyler is Terrified and I don't know how many times I can say the name Tyler in one single sentence. But He does have a YouTube channel called Tyler is Terrified. Go and check it out. He interviews loads of Scream Queens. And even though he hasn't been active in a little while, it's definitely worthwhile checking it out. It's a question that transcends all languages, cultures, ages and religions. Do you believe in ghosts? In the sticky hot July of 2012, I found my own answer to that question. And the answer is yes. I had just graduated high school and was embarking on a new journey of self-exploration, identity and a newfound sense of freedom. Away from the strict discipline of those teenage years in high school, I was ready to conquer the world. I was ready for a summer of fun. My two best friends at the time, Katie and Braden, had agreed to a road trip from our small hometown in rural Kentucky to my Aunt Mary's house in Cincinnati, Ohio. She would be gone with her husband and her daughter on a week-long trip and had asked me if I would mind watching over the house and taking care of their three cats. Of course I agreed. She told me as long as I didn't throw a raging party, I could invite a couple of friends to stay with me. Katie and Brayden were just as excited as me. Freshly 18 years old, none of us had ever had a trip to a big city on our own. We lowered the volume of the radio as we pulled onto my Aunt Mary's street. The house I'd regularly visited for holidays and special occasions suddenly felt like a luxury resort. Katie, Braden and I grabbed our bags and made our way to the side entrance of the house. My aunt's house was a typical Cincinnati-style historic row house, like the one you'd see on Full House or any other 90s sitcom. A small alley between the houses provided a side entrance as well as access to their backyard. I grabbed the door key from under the welcome mat and we entered the kitchen. As I mentioned it was the middle of July and in the Midwest that means one thing. Hot, sticky, humidity and lots of deodorant. Their side entrance entered directly into the kitchen Braden stepped in first and immediately turned to look at Katie and I, who were laughing about some stupid memory of our final days of high school. The look on Braden's face suggested something was strange. What's wrong? I asked him. It's so cold in here, he said. I quickly remembered my Aunt Mary telling me not to mess with the thermostat as they didn't want an expensive electric bill in the middle of a heat wave. Oh, this house is stupid old, I said, plus the curtains are drawn, so that's why. We shrugged it off and sat our bags on the kitchen floor. Braden suggested we find someone to buy us alcohol, since we were all underage. Katie, the true mom of the group, thought that it sounded too sketchy because we didn't know anybody here. As we contemplated risking it all for a week of unsupervised fun, a loud bang came from another room. It sounded like the living room down the hall and we all looked at each other. I told them it was probably one of the cats knocking something over wanting to reassure them that this trip was going to be fun. And then the static hit. It was a deafeningly loud, undebatable radio static. I remembered the surround sound radio and CD player my aunt had in her living room. It was 2012 after all and I ran down the hall to see what was going on. In the small living room, my aunt's three cats were staring directly at the ceiling above them. Anyone who owns or has been around a cat knows that cats are prone to darting off when hearing loud noises or seeing strangers. They didn't budge. I turned to the radio system, which was one of those older models that greeted you with a digital message after powering it on, and was about to turn it off when it suddenly changed stations to a crystal clear country song from the early 90s. A sad song. I pulled back a bit to figure out what exactly was happening. The music was so loud. Right before my eyes, the radio turns off and back on and displays a blinking greeting message. Hello. The radio turns back off. Goodbye. Confused, but not necessarily shaken, I went back into the kitchen to tell Braden and Katie I thought the radio might be on its last legs and we should probably leave it off for the week. They laughed about it, and Braden said, This house is so freaking old. Later that night, we decided to order a pizza and watch something funny on Netflix. We decided against asking a stranger to liquor us up half watching the tv and half reminiscing on our final days of high school we were all in a giggly and light-hearted mood it felt so nice to be away from our parents and to make our own rules for a week katie suddenly darted her eyes to the living room window beside the front door my aunt mary always left the porch light on if she went on a trip to prevent any sneaky burglars from seeing that her house was an easy target I was confused and asked Katie what was wrong. She looked back at the window and said, It looks like someone just walked past that window. And that's when we heard it the first time. An unmistakable thud and a creaking door. It was definitely upstairs this time. The three of us sat in silence and muted the TV. Okay, which one of us is going to go and see what that was? Braden asked, ready for a macho man fight. "'I presumed it was probably one of the cats again, "'but suddenly I didn't believe what I was thinking. Katie looked to her left and down the hallway "'that led back into the kitchen "'and informed me that all three cats were in there. "'We finally gathered enough courage to get up as a trio "'and look up the narrow staircase "'that led to the pitch-black second floor of the house.' One by one we made our way up the staircase and immediately flipped the light switch, illuminating the upstairs hall. I leaned into the bathroom, flipped on the light and immediately knew where the sound had come from. As bizarre as this might sound, there is a door directly across from the bathroom toilet. A door that is typically locked and never used. A door that leads to another staircase. A door into an unused, full-sized attic. Katie begged me not to explore any further but the cold draft coming from the open door seemed to call me in I leaned my head into the open doorway pulled the string which lit up a single light bulb with no covering but couldn't see beyond the attic steps I quickly turned off the light and pulled the door shut I thought we were just freaking ourselves out the door must have just been unlocked and a draft had opened it but I also realised that we've all heard that line in horror films. We went back downstairs and tried to enjoy our pizza and TV, but it was obvious we were all on edge. Eventually we decided it was time for bed. I would sleep in the furthest bedroom upstairs, Katie would sleep in the bedroom closest to the bathroom, and Brayden would sleep on the sofa downstairs. We decided that the next morning we would go to Kings Island, a local amusement park, to blow off some steam and enjoy a day of roller coasters. We managed a few hours of sleep that night, but youthful adrenaline kept our minds racing most of the time. I woke up the next morning to Katie shaking my shoulders. I jolted awake and asked her what was wrong. She said, It's Brayden, and pulled me out of bed, making our way to the bathroom. We found Brayden lying in a fetal position by the door leading to the attic. He was asleep. I leaned down thinking he was playing some sort of ridiculous prank. He opened his eyes and said, I threw up all night. It's so cold in this house. I looked at Katie confused. It didn't feel cold at all. We helped him downstairs and got him onto the sofa again. That's when we saw the vomit lining the hallway to the kitchen. He had thrown up trying to find a downstairs bathroom, not realising there was only one upstairs. After we cleaned his mess, Katie and I, like any other immature 18-year-olds, decided we would still go to the amusement park. Brayden assured us he would be okay, and that we should still try to have fun. A day of riding the roller coasters and checking in on Braden via text every few hours had us exhausted and ready to go back to my aunt's house. As we made our way back to Katie's car in the parking lot, Braden called us. You need to get home as soon as possible, he said, obvious fear in his voice. We got into Katie's car and the engine sputtered. The car was completely dead. We were stuck at a now closed amusement park. After getting a jump from a random good Samaritan, we were on our way back to the house. We again used the side entrance to the house and found Braden sound asleep on the sofa. I woke up and asked him if he was okay and why he needed us to come home. He gave us a confused look and told me he didn't know what we were talking about. Frustrated, I said, ''You rang me and told me to get home as soon as possible. What's wrong?'' He then pulled out his phone and showed us his call records. I never called you. What are you talking about? I'm feeling fine anyway. Thinking he was yet again trying to trick us, I pulled out my phone to show him my call records. And that's when I saw that there was no call from him. Katie choked back tears. What is happening? she asked, overwhelmed at the bizarre start to our trip. Katie wanted to get a hotel and suggested that we ditch the house and go home early the next day. Braden and I agreed that we should stay in the house another night, trying to explain away the strange happenings. Katie went straight to bed, and slept with a lamp on the entire night. My bedroom was directly beside hers, so I could look over and see the wall brightly lit from the lamp. I began to get myself ready for bed, heading to the bathroom to brush my teeth. Braden had turned out the downstairs lights except for the faint TV flicker. I yelled down to him, "Good night." And he didn't say anything back. He was already asleep as well. Brushing my teeth, I began to examine my face as one does in the mirror before bed. The attic door was directly to my left at this point. A long, single scratching sound came from behind the closed door. I immediately turned off the faucet, toothbrush still in my mouth, and stared at the door. What felt like years but was only a few seconds in reality, I questioned what I had just heard. I finished brushing my teeth and leaned my ear against the attic door. Had I really heard the scratching, or was my mind playing tricks on me? I nearly skidded across the room when a knock came from behind the door. A single defined knock. I stood frozen with fear, staring at the closed door, and that's when the single most terrifying sound I've ever heard in my life happened. It was a snort, somewhere between a pig and a horse snort, but unlike anything I've ever heard, long enough to make me know there was something in the attic. I ran out of the bathroom, closing the door behind me. Katie was sound asleep in her bed, so I decided to enter my bedroom and sleep with my lamp on as well. I'd never been the praying type, but I mustered out a quick prayer to ensure our safety and to protect my friends and I from anything evil residing in the house. At 7am just after daylight, I was awoken by what sounded like a suitcase hitting the floor the lamp in Katie's bedroom still cast a bright spotlight effect on her bedroom wall. I watched, able to see her wall from my own bed as the clear shadow of Katie went through her suitcase. She was packing her belongings, getting an early start to our final day in Cincinnati. After 20 minutes or so of watching her shadowed outline pack her suitcase, I decided to get up and talk to her about what we should do before heading home. When I entered her room, I nearly fainted. Katie was asleep sprawled out over her bed I woke her up saying you fell back asleep quickly clearly confused she groggily asked me what do you mean I told her I had watched her pack her suitcase her eyes grew wide and she said I just woke up what are you talking about we went over to her suitcase seeing that all her clothes were neatly folded She laughed and then thanked me, saying she could have really packed her own stuff. Katie, I didn't pack your bag. You did. She swore she hadn't touched her bag. We went downstairs to see if Brayden had packed her belongings and he too was asleep. We gathered our belongings and anxiously waited my aunt's return home. She, my uncle and my cousin were set to arrive back at the house within the next hour. I realised I'd left a pair of shoes upstairs, bright red in colour, and went to grab them as Katie and Braden sat in the living room downstairs. I searched everywhere, both bedrooms, but I couldn't find them. That's when I felt the familiar unwelcome cold breeze again. I looked into the bathroom to see the attic door wide open. I was shaking with fear. I decided it was time to see what was in the attic. I knew neither of my friends would go with me, so I didn't bother to ask. I made my way up the attic staircase, which came to a large, mostly empty room. There was a single rocking chair facing the lone, tiny window overlooking the street. It suddenly felt hot and humid in the attic. Pin dropped silent and stifling. Next to the rocking chair was a single painted portrait in an ornate, paint-chipped frame. The portrait was a little girl and she was sad. Her solemn expression was only amplified by her large baby blue eyes. The portrait had to have been from the early 1900s. I left the attic, shut the door tight and was about to make my way downstairs to explain to my friends what I had just found when I saw my pair of red shoes sitting in the hallway perfectly positioned next to each other in the centre of the hallway I grabbed them, shaken and ran downstairs you're never going to believe what I just, I was cut off by the landline telephone ringing there were only two landlines in the entire house, one in the living room and one in the kitchen the phone rang twice and was picked up by the answering machine static and then heavy breathing We sat in silent horror, clearly contemplating if what we were hearing was indeed really happening. The answering machine suddenly cut off mid-breath. Another thud from directly above our heads. The attic. We, along with my aunt's three cats, stared at the ceiling for what felt like an eternity. My aunt Mary called my cell phone to tell me they were pulling onto the street and would be home in a couple of minutes. She asked how the week had gone. I didn't know how to ask her this, but I finally mustered up the courage. Have you ever felt like your house is haunted? I asked, immediately regretting the words, thinking she would make fun of a young teenager afraid to be alone. Without hesitation, she said, Yes, in the attic. Why? No record has ever been found of the little girl in the portrait, or why the portrait was ever there to begin with. They say demons manifest themselves as friendly beings sometimes, tricksters. What I experienced in my aunt's house was not friendly, and it did not want strangers in its house. My aunt eventually moved a year later, citing too much bizarre activity in the house to feel safe. She would later tell me her daughter had seen an old woman staring at her from the dark corner of her bedroom one night the same bedroom where my friend Katie had slept. My aunt would also later tell me a bright light sometimes woke her up in the middle of the night, hovering above my uncle's sleeping body next to her. Another night, my aunt had felt something sitting on the edge of her bed and brush against her feet. My grandmother, my aunt's mother, eventually had to move in with them as her health was declining. She too claimed to experience something she had seen a little girl with bright blue eyes standing in the corner of her bedroom. The house is now a rental property and I live a few minutes away. Sometimes I take walks by the old house to see what's changed over the years. There are always new tenants. Oh, there's so much going on in this story. But the first thing I'm going to mention is that amazing feeling when you are a teenager and you're finally getting those little bursts of freedom. And I loved... The line in Tyler's story about feeling like the house was a mansion, because you're suddenly in a house that's yours for a week. There's no rules, no adults. You can do whatever you like, and it does make anywhere feel like paradise. Just loved it. Made me feel really warm and like, oh yeah, I remember those days. What is less good is then the static. What is it that's so scary about static? It's such a scary sound. Like I hate the sound of static and horror films. I hate when they're doing paranormal investigations and they use that spirit boxy thing. Like, I hate the sound of it. It really freaks me out. I think because it's so nondescript that my brain really struggles with it and finds it really scary. It definitely seems like, though, whatever was in this house was desperately trying to communicate with you, whether in a good way or a bad way. And I'm just desperate to know what was in the attic, of course. That's the big thing about this story. Is what was in the attic. Why was the attic not being used? Why was there like a chair and a picture of a girl in the attic? I'd love to sit down with your aunt and be like okay you need to tell me everything that you know. Every single thing that you know. Like what packed Katie's bag? Was that a I'm going to be really kind and helpful and pack your bag? Or was that a pack your bags I want you to go? Kind of thing. I don't either way it's terrifying i don't think i'd be particularly thankful if a ghost packed my bags even if the intention was good thank you so much for listening to today's stories thank you to dan and tyler for sending in your story remember the last story came from the 6th of march 2021 if you would like to find out anything about me you can do so by looking up real life ghost and remember there'll be no main episodes just for a couple of weeks and i will see you next time